This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose. Joining me today for The Bigger Picture is Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. So life, Tim, has returned for what passes for normal. We will talk about the the late Queen's um, funeral later on, I know, but uh, politics has resumed and, you know, we wake up to the fact that just before all this happened, Liz Truss became Prime Minister. So, you know, where where now? When I mean, we were talking about a country that was barely working, you know, a fortnight ago, uh, she's got a lot to do. She has. Well, the first thing to be said is that um, you're right to allude to a sense of crisis, uh, which there's certainly been. Um, uh, I don't think that uh, it has been clear in recent times what the British government, the British Tory government, uh, has been proposing as its strategy, or indeed, dare I say it, the Labour opposition. Why? That, that was exactly your point to when we last spoke two weeks exactly. ago, wasn't it? That was exactly what you were saying. Yes. Exactly. And goodness, doesn't thing change in two or three weeks? Because, yes, we have a, a new Prime Minister, but we have a new approach. And the key thing to be said is, whatever you think about it, the good news is, at least someone has got a plan <laughs> um, and because that's what was missing now maybe so, so if it doesn't have the word cunning before it indeed but maybe yes. it won't work maybe it's the wrong one but it's quite good to have someone at the helm of the ship of the state who at least uh you know purports to yes. have one and it seems to me that liz trust does um she is uh clearly from the pre-market Fat right wing of the Conservative Party. She has long been a friend of think tanks like the Adam Smith Institute or the Institute of Economic Affairs, which are at the radical free market, dare I say it, um, libertarian end of the Conservative family. So she is clear that she wants to reduce taxes um, and she wants to turn Britain into a beacon of entrepreneurship. She wants to signal to the world that Britain is open for business and that if people come here, if they invest here, um, uh, they will be able to not only reap but keep the rewards of their labour and of their creativity. Um, and from this, she wants to turbocharge growth. She believes, given the reasonably high level of debt in this country, that the only way for Britain to advance is to grow, and that therefore we need a, a supply side shock. This, of course, is the tactics of Margaret Thatcher uh, in budgets really from 1979 onwards, the early 80s, and Liz Truss wants to emulate that. And we know she wants to emulate it, not just through her rhetoric and who she's hung out with in recent years, but I would say you can even sense this with her often in the way she dresses. There are moments where she likes, I think, she revels uh, in, in, in dressing a little bit like Margaret Thatcher. I think when it comes to climate and green energy, 
Um, yes, she recognizes that the technology that will drive a more carbon neutral future uh, is certainly come along, coming along, um, but what she doesn't want to do is for it to cost too much and to damage that growth um, uh, in the near future. So I think she is a green, uh, she believes in green energy, but for her, the economics have to stack up. And that means don't have lots of high energy taxes um, or lots of potentially counterproductive short-term uh, targets, but deal with the world as it is. We have Vladimir Putin um, having invaded, uh, the Russians having invaded Ukraine. That's caused all kinds of problems. So she wants, again, a supply side reform. And today, of course, she's announced fracking. Uh, there's a huge opening up of uh, resources, drilling in the North Sea, and she'll carry on with that. Um, it is unknown what she will do with health and social care. She's definitely going to re re you know, reverse uh, the 1.25% national insurance right, rise that was going to be funding more social care. Um, and we don't know if she's going to tackle the NHS. In fact, we, there, there, is, there are questions out there as to whether she's going to really grasp the nettle um, and, for example, could uh, make private healthcare insurance uh, deductible against tax. It used um, to be, didn't it, for a while? It did. It did. The, the Conservatives uh, did that uh, for part of the 1980s and the early 90s, but then it was reversed by New Labour. That could become a, you know, another story of political ping-pong um, but what she might do, she might even want to in, introduce things like um, uh, fees for GP services. You know, if you have a GP appointment, um, then you pay a couple of quid or a fiver or whatever. Who knows? The levelling up agenda, well, um, uh, I think that 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 will be adapted, That the, the phraseology around it will shift in the next two years and certainly in the next Conservative Party manifesto, which I assume will come out in 2024 at some point. So not that far away, actually. Um, and uh, uh, what she warned to do is go for a sort of popular uh, capitalism, lower tax, uh, potentially a slightly smaller state or certainly a reconfigured state with a little bit more money being spent on defence as we go through this decade, um, uh, but a capitalism that is cast in favour of not only London and the supply side reforms to infrastructure, but one that chimes with major tranches of that uh, of that northern uh, uh, red wall that has fallen uh, uh, the Conservative way in, in the last election. Is Yorkshire last? We don't often get um, um, Conservative prime ministers from from the north, do we? Indeed, we don't. Um, on immigration, uh, I think actually uh, she is going to uh, be innovative and fairly strident when it comes to illegal immigration, um, and particularly the sort of conundrum uh, that uh, the, 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 the government faces with the channel, uh, the English channel. But I think the reality is the British government is already and is going to continue to be much more liberal um, on immigration, uh, where it, it deals with people coming from other parts of the world beyond the EU. If you actually look 
at the data, the recent data of people coming, for example, into the NHS, doctors and nurses, boy, is there an uptick of, of, of people coming from all around the world and being welcomed into that service. Lots of people coming from Asia, uh, lots of people coming from Africa, lots of Nigerians um, and further afield. So there was a very interesting article recently in, in the Telegraph that talked about the European Union, um, not my terminology, but they talked about it becoming an increasingly white fortress, whereas the United Kingdom, um, there are clear green shoots of, of, of global migratory flows um, that are being led by various uh, requirements, in this instance, healthcare, but there will be others. The last thing I will say is that uh, Liz Trust is going to be very strident, I think, on culture wars, um, uh, um, uh, because I think that uh, chimes electorally, uh, not only with Middle England, but actually the more patriotic and conservative tendencies of traditional Labour voters, particularly in the north of England. So I think that Liz Truss is going to, uh, and her government are going to be quite strident on that, um, and it's going to be interesting, isn't it, um, with people like Kemi, Kemi Badenoch move to education, um, as well as Braverman as Home Secretary, where that could go. Mm. So I think it's going to be really big. Um, the thing I don't know about, and, and will be fascinating, this trust is clearly a Brexiteer, um, but what, over and above her you know, relationship with Europe and trying to resolve the Northern Ireland issue and her strident views on, on Ukraine. Actually, when it comes to other parts of the world um, and over and above trade, um, I think it's quite difficult to read her in terms of what her, 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 her medium and long-term foreign policy will be. For example, I don't really know how Liz Truss um, views Latin America. I don't really know how she wants to engage Africa um over the course of you know for britain to engage over the course of this century so there are lots of areas there that that, that um for me are fairly murky yes um unless i miss it we didn't talk about housing either is there did we because obviously i mean the more, there's not enough housing for the people who live here the last um prime minister under his government they were making it more difficult for people to rent out homes which is going to cause another problem so we well, can expect presumably to see um, somehow um, the building of houses made easier yes i think she is going to go hell for leather for a fat right agenda i think she's going to want to see a lot more private sector investment um, in traditional forms of infrastructure yeah. that could be everything from road building she may consider road pricing uh, toll roads rather like the french have uh, I think she's going to want to incentivize things like free ports, uh, free trade areas. She's going to want to encourage um, uh, 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 the building of a lot more housing. Uh, I think she's going to want uh, to uh, see the modernization of infrastructure, uh, uh, particularly railways in the north of England, because there's an awful lot of potential mm. in the north. Uh, to be unleashed, you know, great economic centres like Manchester, like Liverpool, like Sheffield, you know, are boxing below their um, weight because 
successive Tory and Labour governments have not invested. Um, and that doesn't mean investment simply government money. There are other ways yes. that we can be raised, including from the private sector. Tim, thank you. Probably time for us to take a breath and change subject. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with Professor Tim Evans of Middlesex University. Um, Tim, what's our second subject? Well, our, our second subject is, uh, for me, it's really where is uh, the, the Russian economy going? Um, and where is the broader energy debate going in Europe? Because um, since the Russian uh, special operation, in inverted commas, uh, in Ukraine, um, uh, it's very clear now that, that Europe um, is not only rapidly tilting away um, from uh, Russian energy supplies, first is coming oil uh, and, and rapidly flowing is, ga- uh, is gas, not, but not only are we in Western Europe finding new and innovative ways of sourcing new forms of energy. For example, gas coming in not only from Qatar, but from Egypt, even places uh, near Israel. Um, um, let us not underestimate uh, the impact that this tilt away from Russia is going to have uh, uh, on the Russian economy. A lot of economists in the West, you know, they, they talk quite rightly about the EU's traditional importation of, of, of for example, gas from Russia. Um, and, 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 and it's true that last year, just under 80% of Russian gas exports were to, were to um, the EU. But when the Russian government claims that only about 27 or 28 percent of the Russian federal budget depends on its oil and gas exports. Uh, I think that's um, a, 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 an underestimate. The problem is that these figures, which are to an extent figures of propaganda, they're far from the truth because they only take into account three taxes. There's a mining tax in Russia, there's an export duty tax, and there's a tax on oil products. But when you add in the state's share of things like dividends, which also goes, by the way, into the Russian budget, mm. um, and you include uh, corporate profit tax, uh, the income tax that employees of companies like Gazprom, uh, 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 um, their state oil, uh, gas company pays, uh, and other taxes, duties, and fees, then it is a conservative estimate to say that, that Gazprom represents um, 55 to 60% of the state budget. So the fact that Gazprom is being cut off from such an important market and is going to struggle, it is struggling, and it's going to continue to struggle uh, to sell a lot of its product. For example, they've been burning off 
vast amount of their gas simply because they can't sell it. Um, this, I think, heralds a lot of economic bad news for Russia. And, and again, we know now that this summer, um, production in things like buses in Russia collapsed by nearly 100%, well over 95%. Diesel locomotives, um, 63%. Glass, by more than 60%. Washing machines, 59%. Refrigerators, 58%. But the reality is that the Russian military um, are so bereft of new technology. You know, R Russia's economy is still so corrupt. It is so sclerotic that a lot of its technology resembles the sort of world we were familiar with, dare I say, in the 1990s. So the Russian military are now, you know, raiding um, washing machines and refrigerators for modern microchips and technology. And when you look at the reduction in the production of, of a lot of things mm. in Russia, and then you, 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 you work into your mind the bizarre reality um, that lots of these things like white goods are actually being raided uh, to, to try and find microprocessors and, and microchips and all the rest of it, then you start to realize that um, Russia is in deep trouble. The truth is, I think Europe is pivoting very quickly away from Russia. Uh, lots of uh, the gas storage tanks in places like Germany are already at 90% capacity. So if we have a reasonably mild mirror, uh, winter, then I think things could go well. But Russia next year, as it moves into 2023, and if this were, God forbid, a prolonged conflict and went into 2024, mm. Russia really is going to struggle. It's going to struggle with its state budget. It's going to struggle um, technologically. Um, it's going to become just ever more isolated. And the question is, what on earth really will become of Russia um, in the years ahead? Mm. Um, Tim, we've got one more um, topic to look at, and we, we can't really um, end our discussion without at least reflecting back on the the funeral of Queen Elizabeth the the second. I mean, um, you know, we've had the Queen for all of our lifetimes, um, and now we have a king. We do, and um, uh, life is a journey, isn't it? And you learn. And with the sad passing of Her Late Majesty, I learnt, dare I say, all kinds of things about myself. And I'm sure that this was true to to, to many other people. I have lots of friends, for example, from Republican backgrounds. I have friends from uh, the left, uh, as well as uh, friends from you know, the, the moderate conservative right. What impressed me was how people of different outlooks, different political perspectives, different faiths, different class backgrounds were clearly touched. And the most touching element for me was how this wasn't just about the death of the Queen, but because she was sort of the national figurehead, because she'd always been there as the core of stability, almost above day-to-day -day rancor and politics, there was almost a, a sort of, a, almost, dare I say, a filial connection. Um, it, it was deeply personal for me, I guess I realised, because my parents met on the eve of coronation in St. James's, um, 
they fell in love very quickly and they got married a few years later and I arrived in the mid 60s. And of course, both my parents died last year. My mum died uh, in February and my dad, sorry, my dad died in February of last year and my mum died in November, late November. And in a way, the story of their relationship, you know, was very much a modern Elizabethan age story. And they prospered and they saw the world and they met lots of people with different cultures. And they lived in this incredibly benign and relatively stable country that we have. My ultimate reflection was a point I've made to you before, which is, I think that when you look at the Northern West European monarchies, democratic sort of parliamentary monarchies, places like Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Britain and elsewhere, then you find um, a breadth of conversation, a breadth of empowerment, of freedom, but also of inclusion um, that is not always perfect, but under the insurance policy of monarchs and parliaments, boy, do we do diversity, inclusion, progress, mm. prosperity well. Um, there are some left-wing words I've used purposely and there's some right-wing words I've used purposely. But um, I think the, the, the lasting memory I have, and even though I'm 57, it shows I am forever 12 years old, the morning after the Queen's funeral, I woke up and I must confess, I did have a shaky moment when I realized full blown, this was my first new day. And that sort of pillar of strength and stability was no longer there. And uh, however much I might think of myself as being a rationalist or a skeptic of certain forms of state power, I do confess that um, I've become accepting of my own inner yes. contradiction. Also, we, pro yeah. we, we probably shouldn't stop with it without, at least briefly, um, talking about the extraordinary organisation. I mean, you know, two weeks ago, people were bemoaning the fact that the health service didn't seem to be working, um, that uh, you couldn't get passports, you couldn't get your licence renewed. Nothing seemed to be functioning the way it should. The airports were in chaos. And yet, in the space of a very short time, the most extraordinary organisation was set in motion. Um, and one can't fault how it was carried out at all. Well, let's not underestimate uh, the degree to which um, the plans have been laid. Mm. Uh, and, for example, uh, how things were being practised. Um, I mean, for example, as part of... Uh, Operation London Bridge, which was the well, the code phrase mm. for the Queen's London Bridge is down. Um, the the naval ratings, 142 naval ratings, who you saw uh, pulling the naval gun carriage. Um, um, let me tell you that gun carriage is based in Portsmouth, uh, on an island down there, and those ratings. Uh, long before the Queen's death and other ratings over the years, uh, practice those manoeuvres uh, almost in perpetuity. And there are always, you know, um, units, particularly doing public duties, and I'm thinking of 
members of the uh, the household division, the, the guards division, both the foot guards and the household cavalry, that are trained and are primed not only for war fighting, because they're real soldiers, uh, but they're also primed to do public duties and they do these things well. And it's the same for the Royal Air Force and institutions like the Queen's Colour Squadron, now the King's Colour Squadron. Um, that's, you know, when they do their public duties and they do their pray practices and all that, that's what they do and that's what they're ready for. So it was a very, very well-planned um, uh, uh, operation. It had been planned, of course, years in advance and everything was set in train uh, right across a range of institutions and agencies, public and private. Uh, and it will come right down to Westminster, you know, Westminster Council when, when horses have gone up the mall, you know, it's down to the local council uh, to have their trucks to, to move away the horse poop. Um, yes, you know, yeah. this is, uh, you are, you are, you, what you are watching is a highly professional, well-oiled machine with an eye for detail and the minutiae of governance and execution. And it was done brilliantly. And I would suggest we do that better than anywhere else in the world. Yes. Uh, everyone's almost tempted to wish the military were running the country, but that's a different sort of governance that we want uh, entirely. Tim, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's uh, Professor Tim Evans. He's Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. I'm hoping he'll be back talking to me again in a fortnight's time. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.